Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Carol Francis on Make Life Happen, and you are in for a great treat today because women and the men who love them are going to understand how to be able to face the modern challenges as well as how to be modern and successful as women. And the person that's going to guide us through this is someone who has walked the talk and lived the life and found a path that work dynamically well for her, Mel Dwayne, author of Alpha Chip. And five ways to now. How do, what's the rest of your title there on your book? Five steps for moving from pain to power. Beautiful, and that's exactly what we have to know. I do understand from your book that we have to move from pain to power, but it, it's like you have you know pain's inevitable. But now, how do you empower yourself? And and you were telling me right before the program something that you were very very grateful for and that that uh. It's an interesting perspective. Tell us about that. Well, I was writing an article about gratitude. And what I wrote about was, I said, I am so grateful that I'm an alcoholic. And I have mm. said this to people, and they've looked at me like I have like <laughs> four heads. And they don't understand <laughs> where I'm coming from, that mm. I embrace my pain, my flaws, and that's where I found my wisdom. That's where I found my power, Carol, is by recognizing what was holding me back. And from there, I created the life that I wanted. Wow, that's wonderful. We're going to take that journey with you. From I know your book delineates from the beginning to the present, the journeys that you have taken and, and the ways you've tripped fallen and then had to get yourself back up. Um, you've persevered. You've stuck through so much. Uh, where, where do you want to begin us on your journey that will help the modern woman be able to, to, to face what they have to face, to have that tenacity and stick with it, but have the tools to be able to go forward? So where do you want to start us on our journey? I think that we should start in uh, this, I have my life broken up into three phases, innocence, obsession, and transformation. And I think starting at the level of, of being obsessed uh, to mm-hmm. fulfill my sense of self-worth is something that really resonates with women. That's mm-hmm. the root of all problems for women is low self-esteem so i think that's where they they get the most benefit from uh the the description of of what went on in my life low self-esteem it makes complete sense i think that the aspect of low self-esteem that i see women most struggle with is how they reach out to men in order to get their self-esteem and your book really does address that very well yes um you know, the seeds of low self-esteem were planted as when I was a child, and that's very common with uh, people that, that have this problem, is that it's usually 
failure in communication and relationships as children that carry forth as we mature that creates the sense of low self-worth, low self-esteem. So for me, being six feet tall, weighing about 105 pounds, uh, being subject to a lot of bullying because of what I looked like, uh, only created more anxiety, more emotional trauma uh, in my life. And even though I was modeling and running around with celebrities and everybody thought I had this glamorous life and, oh, I wish I could be her, no one understood that behind that mask of marvelous makeup and hair was the most painful soul. I had no sense of self-worth. I had no identity. I was a lost soul. I was empty. Mm-hmm. And you kind of and, attribute that to what? What do you attribute that to? What were the, the the stimuli for that? Well, I think what it was that as a child, um, my relationship with my father changed and I saw him drifting away when he was battling depression. So that created that anxiety, that fear of abandonment. And then I was 20 years old, 21 years old, fell madly in love and thought that this person should complete my life, make my life perfect, make me happy. Um, and you know what? That's too big a job for, for one human being, and it really right. isn't their responsibility. So that relationship ended. That ideal that I had of how a relationship should play out and you get married and you have the picket fence, it didn't happen. So it put me into a a tailspin um, as far as, oh, my God, I've been rejected again. He found somebody better. He met somebody else he loves more. It started this huge pattern of negative self-talk that went on for years in my life. And how did you cope with it? I drank. Yes. <laughs> it was there my band-aid. You know, I, I, um, mm-hmm. alcohol was my band-aid. And mm-hmm. uh, that was my drug of choice. Women use mm-hmm. alcohol. They use pills. They'll use food. They'll use men. I used men as well uh, to feel good about myself. And so the alcohol worked for a while. It gave me a sense of false courage. Um I could pretend I was somebody I wasn't. But mm. you know, it doesn't it it doesn't last forever. And after several years of really abusing alcohol, it started to change how I reacted and I started to slip. I started to get depressed. I started to get sad. The uh low self-esteem even got worse because now I'm constantly pursuing validation from other people. My whole sense of self was really in the eyes of what somebody else saw. And that's a pretty bad place to be. You know, it's interesting because while I, I was reading that in your book and how clearly you state that, the book, everybody is called Alpha Check, and that 
that, that you did have the lack of self-esteem, but you created so many amazing experiences, businesses, and business successes as you strived forward. And so while you're, are you saying that side-by-side, a low self-esteem and reaching out to try to, you know, supplement or, or smother or cover that up, you also have this capacity to create these amazing opportunities for yourself. How, how, do, how do you kind of think about yourself in terms of your successes side by side with this feeling of inadequacy? Well, it was almost like having a dual personality. You put me in a business mm. arena, I could show up and be anybody I wanted. Mm. And that's what I did. But you put me in a social position, then I had to be me. And that mm. was where I, I didn't do well because I didn't like me. I, I didn't have any sense of self. So that was the area where, you know, my life really became uh, a train wreck. But it was funny. I could show up during the day work, be very powerful in what I was doing at work because it was like playing a role. But then... Do you, do you mind going into that a little bit in terms of, you know, women uh, women are entering into the workforce now as a matter of fact, whereas when I entered into the workforce, when you entered the workforce, women were not a matter of fact in the workforce. And it's it, it here you are able to play the role and play it well and interface with people in a work environment. What, what were your resources inside of you that enabled you to be able to discern and decide and converse and make decisions and be savvy about that that domain of life? Because that's been tremendously, like you say, you're very powerful in that role. How were you able to be? that way. Do you know? Do you have do you have thoughts about that? Yes. Because those people didn't know who I was. They didn't know who I was on a personal level. So mm. I was able to play a role and pretend to be something an another person that I really wasn't. I never showed up that I was this wounded woman who had this enormous sense of rejection uh, especially in personal relationships, I didn't show that card. Um, I would show up looking smashing, um, looking like, when I was modeling, like, you know, oh, magazine covers. Yeah. Oh, my I, gosh. That's you what you saw. Education. You're the twin yes, of the United States, correct? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. And you'd see, oh. you know, this magazine cover. And um, th- that was the role I could play. And I could put on all the makeup and all the hair pieces and all the clothing, everything I wanted. It was like going on a stage. I was and performing. You- but mm. when it came to my personal life, I couldn't perform. I-, I-, I couldn't carry that role because now people were trying to interact with me on a personal level. I didn't have the identity. I didn't have that sense of self. And I crumbled. I failed terribly Mm. because I put too much responsibility on the other person in the relationship. They were Mm. supposed to fulfill me. They were supposed to complete me. And they couldn't. Mm. You say in your book, in an incredible moment of awareness, 
I understand that these temporary fixes with men to try to feel good about myself had never worked and never would. All they did was leave me full of self-hatred and shame and desperation. With the speed and power of lightning bolt, I realized I didn't want to do this anymore and that it and that to stop it, I had to end this whole dreadful game with men and drinking. Tell me more. That was the day that I really had a spiritual epiphany. I, I was leading up to it, and I had had a very, I, I would say, the last kick in the butt that pushed me over the cliff and I didn't have wings to fly was... Um, a, a young man that was a an attorney, and he was 15, 17 years my junior. Mm. And after that relationship ended very suddenly, and of course, why wouldn't it? I mean, we really didn't have much in common. And mm. uh, when that ended so abruptly, I was so emotionally broken at that point mm. is when mm. I really started to come to the realization, I can't go on. I can't go on but I wasn't quite Mm. ready and so I went I I had a horrible holiday season I could barely keep food down I was trying Mm. not to drink my mom was trying to help me and Mm. uh, but still you know I I went out and um, started drinking mudslides one afternoon and Mm. after that particular day was the day that I knew I was ready to cross the threshold and leave this earth, that that was starting to look really good to me. Death was really starting to look like a very good option. Because I didn't think I had any other choices. Hmm. And that's when I, I really woke up. That was my spiritual awakening. That's when my divine guidance said to me, you are going to be okay. You're going to survive. You're actually going to have a great life. You're going to have an amazing life. But you've got a lot of work to do. You've got a lot of lessons to learn. And when you master those lessons, when you've mastered them, then you will need to go and teach others. Okay, so now what are some of those lessons you needed to master? Those lessons were the five steps of faith. But as I was doing that process, Carol, uh, over the next, so I got sober, just to give your, your listeners a time frame, my alcoholism went on for 25 years. That's right. a long time. I lost 25 yes. years of my life. So yes. at the age of 41 and a half, I had this spiritual awakening. It was either that or death. So thank God, you know, God loves drunks and fools, and he really stepped in and saved me. Um yeah. From 41 and a half till now, what I have worked on was a spiritual and personal transformation. And it started with, of course, getting sober. That was the first thing, you know, getting that support that I needed so that I wouldn't drink. Because drinking, in fact, changed the wiring in my head and the way that I thought. It actually changes the way we process information and how we make decisions. And when we're drinking, we make bad decisions. So the first thing was to get sober, and that was not that challenging for me because in actuality, alcohol wasn't my problem. My problem was low self-esteem. 
And it's usually the case with every woman that's abusing something. It's not usually the substance. It's usually what she's feeling inside, and that's why she's using the substance. So dealing with that first, and then starting to recognize that I had a power of choice. And that started to become apparent to me as I started to read and do educational programs and really study a lot of the spiritual masters. I started to see that there has always been this power of choice that was available. But because my vision was so clouded over from this low self-esteem and the abuse of alcohol, I didn't see that I had options. You know, some of the authors that you mentioned are Napoleon Hill, Norman Vincent Peale, Eckhart Tolle, who else? Who else changed your life? Wayne Dyer, Louise mm. Hay, I love Yogananda, um, mm. so many of the, of the really great spiritual writers. I love their works, and I embraced the message, and I found in those writings a couple of very important things. And one of the key things for me was that all of this craziness that had happened in my life and all of these ridiculous, stupid things that I had done were not defining me as a woman today. They had Mm -hmm. no bearing on who I was today. They were meaningless. It was history. Mm -hmm. That was my story. But my story wasn't who I was. It was mm-hmm. the story. It wasn't who I was created to be. So you, you, you get out of the alcohol mind that blurs you and confuses you and detaches you and numbs you and makes things feel temporarily better, but they're not. It's an illusion. And then you step into this kind of aha experience, engulfing all these wonderful teachers and authors that give you a sense of your power. And now you're saying the third thing was that you began to have a sense of yourself, like you began to discover you, and that felt, that felt like what? What did that feel like when you discovered you? It was like I was being born again mm. in the sense that the way I felt was so dramatic from where I was coming from, that it was like a whole new world. I was Mm. seeing life for the very first time. Mm. And what I was discovering was that all I really needed and all the wisdom, all the answers that I had been looking for, all of that was within me. It wasn't in the hands of another person. Mm. That self-love, that true understanding of who we are, all of that came from within me. It was Mm. not something that somebody else could supply. Mm. One of my favorite quotes in your book is on page 31. You say, oh, if only someone had sat me down and told me that this was just a difficult time in my life, especially with an alcoholic father, or if only someone had told me that I would have the spunk to get through it, that looks aren't as important as what's inside a person, that I could make friends who would truly appreciate me, that I had a reliable center in myself and could focus on my own words. 
that I could make a genuine contribution to others and to the world. But no one did say these things to me. My parents didn't talk to me about what I should do with my life, let alone show concern about my feelings. And increasingly, they were having trouble staying emotionally afloat themselves. That's a very powerful statement. Can you elaborate? Yes. Well, you know, as I said, my dad was battling depression and was using alcohol as a tool to comfort himself. And so I watched that. Mm. And I think based on the timing of everything, this being in the late 50s and early 60s, People didn't talk about alcoholism. They didn't Mm. identify it as an illness, as a disease. And it was a very common thread in my family. I had a lot of cousins who also were alcoholics. And Mm. so, but nobody ever talked about it, Carol. It was the elephant Mm. that was in the living room that nobody identified. Mm. You didn't discuss it. And so... It was not uncommon how my mother behaved. This this was this is the way women dealt with things back then. You didn't express your upset, your disappointment. You brushed everything kind of under the carpet, you kept it a secret, and you put on your happy face and you and you showed that happy face to the world. You you did not discuss what was happening within your home. Mm. that could be affecting your children or if your relationship wasn't a healthy relationship, if there were some dysfunctional aspects to it. These things were never talked about. That was the the way things were done. Today, everything's very open. Mm. People talk about alcoholism. They talk about Mm -hmm. addiction. They talk about dysfunctional relationships all of this now is very defined and has very spe- specific criteria. Back then, mm. it didn't. Mm. So my parents were doing the very best that they could do based on how they understood how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And so, and and coming from their own environments. And mm. you know, I loved my parents. They were wonderful people. But there was a a true lack of communication which set the seeds in me at a very early age not to really understand how we have choice in life, how, Mm -hmm. you know, how we can pick people to be friends with and, Mm -hmm. and... how to set boundaries in relationships so that people respect us and and how to create that sense of self-worth as we grow and go into the world. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that conversation. It, it's beautifully said the way you're, you're talking about that if you had had clarity, even if the complications existed, if you could have had clarity or definition, then it might have been easier for you to metabolize whatever information you needed to in order to be different than your surroundings or environment if you needed to be different. And I think that that relates to your first letter of faith, which is focus, being able to see things clearly and to focus on the issues and focus on what it takes to be successful. 
um, to walk us through your faith, uh, S-A-I-T-H. Uh, walk us through these five steps as it relates to exactly what you just said. Well, it's interesting that these were channeled to me, the names of the steps, <clears throat> when mm. I was writing the book. And it's funny, yes. when I was writing the book, I thought I had seven steps. And <laughs> I was told one day, oh, no, dear child, no, no, <clears throat> there's only five steps. And they spell faith. And I said, oh, but, but why faith? And I was told, well, this is a word that everybody embraces throughout the mm. world. And it means different things to different people. But yes. no one has a resistance to the word. And it will be easily remembered. Mm. Of course, Kate. And F is? F is focus, which means that we go within. We really understand, we learn who we are as individuals. And the only way to do that is by going within. And that could be through a practice of meditation, through prayer, through journaling, it's a self-discovery, a self-realization of really how we're created and what we're created for. We were never put on this earth to suffer. That's not why we were created. We're actually all put here with a divine purpose. And you just, as we go through life, we discover that purpose. Not everyone does, but if you are practicing these steps and you're focusing on who you are authentically and the the divineness of what your being is all about, then your purpose will, in fact, become very clear to you. So it's, it's discovering who we are at our very core, at that soul level, not that ego chatter that says, Oh, no, you're not good enough. Oh, no, you can't do this. Oh, no, you, you know you shouldn't wear that. Oh, no, you're never going to get that job. You don't have the skill set. That's that ego voice. That's not what we want to listen to. We want to listen to that higher consciousness, that divine guidance that's within. That's what's going to direct us and give us the answers that we need. This is a, a beautiful way that you say it. I, I want to differentiate what you're saying from something that you also say or illustrate so clearly in your book, that we as women think that we're focused on ourselves when we've adapted ourselves to the latest fashion or we're, we're the newest skinny or we've, uh, we've taken on the, the newest look. And that isn't the type of focus that it all moves you in the direction that you're talking about. We're not talking about narcissism. We're not talking about falling into the traps of self-focus in that fashion. We're talking about a no, much more powerful, meaningful focus. Yes. That's, that's ego. That's the ego voice that directs that. I am talking about the soulful voice, the one that's really at your core. Mm. That's the one that you want to tap into. That's the one that gives you the most authentic guidance in your life. Can you... Can you uh, list off ways that individuals can start to listen to their soul's voice. Because, as you mentioned, who were you? You didn't even know who you were. You had to get past the alcohol, and then you come back and you go, whoa, who, how am I beyond this alcohol? 
So what are some ways that a person can begin to say, well, is that my soul speaking? Is that me? Is that the real me? Is that society? Is that my upbringing? Is that, you know, what I believe I'm supposed to say? How do they recognize their soul? Meditation. Hmm. Keep going. The process, the, the practice of meditation stills the mind. It shuts down that voice that's from the head. It shuts down that ego voice that we all listen to every day. And after a period of stillness, your the voice of the soul will emerge. And when you hear that guidance, and sometimes it comes through in a thought, sometimes it may come through in a, uh auditory, or you may in fact end up writing some things down, journaling after meditation, and it will come through in your writings, it is a very, very different type of guidance. And you know immediately, you, it, there's not a doubt in your mind that this is a higher guidance when you get this yeah. type of intuition, this type of message. It is very different than mm. the normal chatter that we listen to daily. It's mm. easy to discern where it's coming mm. from. Mm. I guess it, it also would relate to the A, where A of faith, which is acceptance and attitude, that there would be a different attitude you have towards yourself and a different acceptance after you begin to listen and believe these soulful voices. Yes. And the acceptance is really about embracing who you are, looking at your past and saying, fine, these things happened, but they are in the past. And I can release that now. I don't need to carry that around with me anymore. It no longer serves a purpose. It is the past. And when we're able to stop the resistance to what has happened to us, because that's what keeps us frozen in pain, is that resistance. And the harder we resist, the more we suffer. So if we can just stop the resistance, accept what has happened, it's very interesting, but immediately the the weight of these things that we thought were so despicable and so horrible and so shameful, all of a sudden the weight and the importance of these things dissipate. They no longer have the meaning on our lives that they once had. It's it's almost an immediate lift. And you and you mentioned that accepting who you are and what you have done in your past. What's it like to also accept what other people have done to you? The things you're not in control of that were in, uh, abuse, sexual misuse, exploitation. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, you know those, those things are done to us. We have to recognize mm-hmm. that as well. How does that fit into the formula? It's the, it's the same thing, and I, I really am very sensitive to women that have experienced sexual abuse uh, as children to, to let that go. But when they accept that it happened, they can't change the story or the script. It's done, but they can change how they feel about it. That's the mm-hmm. only control they have is how they think and feel about this. 
And when you apply forgiveness, it's not that you're letting somebody off the hook or saying what they did isn't right or it's meaningless. You're really freeing yourself from that being tethered to that awful atrocity, that pain. When you when you forgive and you and you let it go, you're able to free yourself. You're able to step forward and start to live your life not being tied just to that story. It you 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 you, you get to step forward now and you no longer drag that awful abuse and that suffering around any longer. It's mm-hmm. it's become history. It's the past. It's a so the very soulful, freeing experience. I, I, the soulful voice will be able to say, yes, this is truth. This is what happened to you. These are the lessons learned. This is the hardship you've experienced. This is the imprint of scarring on you. But guess what? You're so much more than this. Can you let that be part of your past? But move forward. Don't let it hold you back. Embrace the future. And let's make the future. Let's go forward. That kind of attitude. Yes, absolutely. And and unfortunately, most women that have been violated as children, it absolutely destroys their self-esteem and self-worth. And therefore, then they end up uh, abusing alcohol or food or they have an eating disorder. They, they become very anorexic. Uh, so that is... Again, that the, the root of the problem is that the abuse creates the low self-esteem. The low self-esteem ends up showing up as addiction uh, and just, you know, self-mutilation or just, you know, complete self-sabotage. Folks, we are talking to Mal Duane, author of Alpha Chick, Five Steps for Moving from Pain to Power, and she has lived an incredibly dynamic life as a celebrity, a millionaire, a real estate agent par excellence, way beyond that. You've done so many amazing things in your life, and we're moving through her five steps, a formula for transformation and success. And your third step, identification and intention, I love the way you delineate the parallel between the one side of things and the other side of things, as if to always keep yourself honest, but make sure you shift forward. Can you describe to us identification and intention? What we need to do, we need to identify, we have to get very honest and identify what are these self-sabotaging behaviors that I am doing on a repetitive process of constantly uh, creating chaos and destruction in my life. Once you can identify these things that you do over and over and over again, expecting a different result, and they're destroying your life, once you identify these things, you can replace them. But you've got to get honest. You've got to say, look at, you know, I'm I'm drinking myself to death. I'm having blackouts. I'm having meaningless relationships. Uh, I'm eating too much food. Whatever that is, you've got to identify that behavior. Once you are honest enough to identify the behavior, then you can start to set intentions. And it's very important that it be an intention, Carol, because an intention has the the energy, 
the soul of the universe behind it, where a goal mm. is like a wish on paper. Mm. So I, I tell women, it's got to be intention. That comes from the soul. That's going to keep you committed to taking these action steps to create this change in your life. Now, for those of us that have read so much about the law of attraction and secrets and things of that sort, the word intention has a tremendous amount of definition and meaningfulness. We can feel how powerful intention is because it is palpable as if it's an object in front of us that we can hold on to. But for someone else that might hear that word that doesn't have that background, the word intention is like, you know, I have good intentions. Yeah, I intend to do that. So what do you mean by this word intention? Why is it so powerful for you? And, and what does that what does that really grab hold of when you say that word inside of you? Well, I think part of it is that you need to write down your intentions also because that keeps you committed. You need to – I created a, a quadrant worksheet where you can identify your self-sabotaging behaviors and then set your new intentions. And I use that worksheet all through my process of transforming my life. And that sheet would be updated daily, weekly. I mean, I would cross out something. Okay, I got rid of that. Now I'm replacing it with this. And I would continue to work on that particular thing. And then when it got better, I'd, I'd shoot even three steps higher. Then I wanted to do this and get myself to that level. And then when I got to that level, I had a new intention. I was going to take my business to, you know, a $10 million production level. And so you create intention from the soul, being committed, writing it down, uh, and that holds your feet to the fire. The other thing is about the law of attraction is it only works when we believe we're deserving. And lots hmm. of times people, you know, after they saw the secret and whatnot, ran around, well, I'm going to manifest this and I'm going to I'm going to attract that. But they didn't believe they deserved it. So it never hmm. showed up. Well, with AlphaCheck, the first part of this process is really understanding who you are and that you are deserving. So by the time you get to intention, you're a magnet what you want. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And you mentioned that in your life, a side of you that was business oriented, you were a magnet for what you got. You, you, Absolutely. You the, yes. Yes. <laughs> that you were energetic and you did know how to interface with people to make things happen. I truly believe I'm unstoppable. There you I go. want to create something, <laughs> I go yeah. out and I create it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was a child that had reading disabilities as a kid and had to take special reading classes because when I got up to read in school, I'd start to stutter, I'd say words wrong. And so I took remedial reading courses and never really liked writing or anything. And here I am uh, at the age of 60 and a half starting to write a book. Wonderful. You know, I nice. mean, uh, who thought I would do it? I just decided I'm going to do it. Yes. Yes. I just decided I'm going to write a book, and I did it. Yes. Yes. And that's your key. That's your thoughts. That's your positive thoughts. Get rid of the negative. Go toward what you're going to do. Do it with determination, clarity, definiteness, plans. Make sure you have plans. Follow through on the steps. I think that Napoleon Hill has a wonderful way of delineating all the steps involved in this. And then if we go on to your H for healing, and helping. 
because I am very intrigued about the power of acts of kindness. And oh, yes. um, Ro, talk to me about that. I think this is a very powerful part of your of your five steps. This is where I live my life now. And if you notice on the cover, I am sitting on the fifth step. Yes. With my dog, my yes. little soul buddy. Mm-hmm. And this is this is you know where I'm at now in my life. I know I'm a healed woman. I have a vibrational level that's like a fuel engine. I mean, it's like a jet engine. I just I wake up. I'm inspired. I'm healthy. I have so much gratitude for everything that I have, but I appreciate all the little things, and that's really mm-hmm. a big component of of gratitude. And I, I walk in my light. And I know that I can help other women find their light. So when you're healed and you're strong and you're energetic and you know that you are standing in your power, this is when you've got to turn and give it away. You've got to go help other women. You've got to help other women discover who they are and get rid of Mm -hmm. their pain and step into their power. Mm -hmm. It's the law of reciprocity. What you Mm -hmm. give out to the universe is what you get back. Tenfold. Yes. So, I mean, it's these random acts of kindness, helping others, lending a helping hand, you know, uh, supporting others in need. This is really what life is about. My purpose now is to teach women to do this. This is my mission, how to tap in. And you have a mission. You have a mission in West Africa, and you have a mission with other projects as well. Tell us about your mission in West Africa? Well, I built a school in West Africa, in Mali, West Africa, and I built it in memory of my niece. Mm. She uh, was a very powerful young woman who was born with a lot of illness, and unfortunately those illnesses just became more and more complicated as she grew grew up, mm. and, uh, you know, each one created another life-threatening situation So by the time she was in law school studying to be a child advocate, she was about 30 years old, and uh, she uh, didn't get to graduate. She died at the age of 32. But her Mm -hmm. life, I can describe it in just such a simple way. Mm -hmm. She never allowed her illness to define who she was as a woman. She woke up every day and lived life to the very, very best that she could that day. And she would do as much as she could do for others that day. That's the way she spent 32 years on this earth. A lot of the work I do now, I do in her memory to carry her light because if she were alive, she'd be doing these things. And so the school in Africa is to educate children who would never have the opportunity for an education. We have 100 children every year, a little over 100, and uh, it's you know almost 50-50 boys and girls, which is wonderful because little girls right. in that area of the world uh, never, never get that kind of opportunity. Wow. So... You know, it's really uh, very, very powerful to... Uh, that's my greatest accomplishment, by the oh, way. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Catherine Holly School in School. Mali. Am I saying it right? In Mali or Mali? Yes, Mali, and West that's, Africa. That's yeah. a, so what type of... Are, is it a boarding school? Do they live there? Do they no, travel? It's, 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 no, it's just... Uh, it's a little... 
the, the, the school was built by local people um, and college students that go on a trek. And the school is built right at the village. It's a little stucco building. And um, there is one class of children that learn the fundamentals of education, of reading and writing, so that maybe they get to progress to go to another school if it's available oh. to them. But this is in very rural areas, very rural. How do you, how do you teach women or girls in that situation uh, about the principles of self-esteem and self-reliance and you know, following the faith steps? How do, you, how do you reach into little children's consciousness when it might have been helpful for you, example, when you were a little girl, and, and say, look, it, it, self-esteem, how, how do you teach the self-esteem? How do you teach that self-confidence? Well, you know, what's interesting is we're born with it, but it's chipped away as our worlds expand. We're born with all that self-esteem and all that self-love and that unstoppable energy and nature uh, Unfortunately, though, through relationships within the family, as as our world expands as children, uh, there are things that happen, there are things that people say to us that get planted in our hearts and start to change the way we feel. Little kids, they they don't believe they can't do anything. They think they can do everything. Invincible. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's But it's after we keep saying, no, don't do that. No, you can't do that. Oh, you know, Johnny, good boys don't do that. After they get years of language and no's and, and correction, you know, they start to rethink things. And our creativity, our unstoppable nature starts to change. So what we need to do is, we need to be very careful about what we say to children when they're little. We need to reinforce them more. And early on in schools, and I love this, that there, there's a group of entertainers like Sting and his wife uh, and several other people that believe that teaching yoga and meditation to small children mm-hmm. starts to teach them to settle down, quiet down, develop a quieter nature, and to look within. They start developing that self-realization, that self-discovery of of looking within and kind of tying the head to the body and the body to the soul, kind of tying the whole package together so that they become very conscious at an early age. I would think that also it would it would be coupled with that clarity that you wish you had when you were young, where you could look at your family, you could look at your social uh, means, you could look at your attitudes and say, is this really a necessary and helpful thought process or pattern for me as I grow? I, I understand I'm kind of stuck in the environment, I understand I'm stuck in the society, but how can I grow myself outside of these uh, preconceived notions that are very limiting? That's a complex thought for a little child. It sounds like that's what you wish you had when you were a little girl. True. And maybe even if my parents couldn't have that conversation with me, if I could have had it at school, if I could have had that reinforcement when I was in elementary school, Mm -hmm. then who knows? 
you know, what would have happened. But I think that's part of the education that we need to give children today is not just reading and math and social studies and all that. We need to have some teaching about who we are as people, what our true potential is, what is self-esteem and and, and self-love and, and self-worth, and how do we carry that in life and how important it is, and teaching children that and, and respecting have, one another. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, what was the Dalai Lama thing said if we were meditating, if our children were meditating an hour a week, we would have world peace within one generation. And yes. why 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 would we do anything less than strive for that? But of course, that would be a major consciousness shift, wouldn't it? Um, and you know, the sad part is, how difficult is it to accomplish that? Very, really. <laughs> I mean, you think about it's not like we're asking some humongous task. If children could just meditate, meditate. an hour a week, yeah, yes. what would happen? You know, yes, not in, much. instead of. Instead of playing uh, on an X3 game box for four hours a day, if we... Shooting and killing and devastating, right. Yes. Decapitating, you know, people and animals in the game. If we um, taught children, you know, to maybe read something that was very spiritual, very nourishing for their soul, and, and, and maybe had them do a little self introspection about who they are, what what they desire, what makes them happy, what doesn't make them happy so that they know how to stay away from what doesn't make them feel good and really just focus on what makes them feel good and, and how to create what they want in life and attract what they want and how to interact with other kids, the difficult ones and the fun ones. If they learn things like that, how different would they be? Absolutely. We're talking with Mal Dwayne Alpha Chicks. Have I said your first name right? I keep wanting to say it different ways. No, Mal that's fine. Dwayne. You're doing beautiful, okay. Carol. Wonderful. Five, five steps for moving from pain to power. I do so appreciate you know, on your on your description of your formula. You see, she shares her easy formulas for personal transformation, and I do think you have a commitment to try to make this as attainable and easy, not make this so difficult. The challenges alone, the wounds alone are difficult to stand up against, but it doesn't mean that the transformations have to step. The transformations have to be difficult to get your mind around, and her book is available through Amazon. It's considered number one in Canada in the self-help and recovery and number 13 in the United States. And you can get ebooks, perfect for our society, as well as you can order her book. And it's $15.95. Is there a website you would like them to be able to check out so they can be further inspired? Oh, absolutely. Alphachick.com. There's all kinds of resources and information. We have a huge telesummit coming up in February called The Positive Mental Shift. I write about PMS in the book, as you know. And so I think that's one of the greatest things that women have is our positive mental shift. Also, um, the book did win the Recovery Addiction Book for the Year, the World Book Award, and it won, oh, the, nice. Reader's Choice, won the Reader's Choice Award for Inspirational Book of the Year and the Pinnacle Achievement Award for Self-Help Book of the Year. 
Nice. Oh, wonderful. Very, very wonderful. Yeah. So the message is really being embraced. And and I, you know, I'm strictly the messenger. Uh, as I told you, the steps were channeled to me, their names and how they should be structured. I knew I had been doing things over and over and over again in my transformational process, but I never thought of it as five steps. I thought of them as seven, and I didn't think of them as the word faith. That all came to me through the writing process. And they had a beautiful way to experience things, yes. Oh, I was so astonished when I was given that information. And then the other thing I was told was that these five steps actually included all the recommendations or suggestions of all the masters that had been writing about transformation over the years, but that the Mm. language to many was hard to decipher. So Mm. it was all brought in in these five steps in very simple but powerful language. So what happens is if you read Yogananda, if you read Think and Grow Rich, if you read um, Wayne, any of them, no matter what they say, there is a component of what they talk about and how to change your life in these five steps. Absolutely. Doesn't make, I recognize doesn't make that. any difference yeah, who wrote it. It's, it's in those five steps. There's an aspect of what they speak of in those five steps. So, women, as you consider what your next thing is to read on your list and how you want to help yourself, the women around you, or men, the women that you love so much, Consider buying Alpha Chick Five Steps for Moving from Pain to Power from Mal Duane. And guess what? You'll be doing your act of kindness as well because a part of the sales will go to Holly's Gift, which is an educational fund for women. We're yet again trying to help women who will probably be the source of a lot of peace in the future, hopefully, as we see the Middle East, for example. We didn't even talk about that. Make a change as women themselves decide that they are dynamically powerful to create peace, love, compassion, wealth, anything else that we really decide is in our soul's best interest. What would you like to say in conclusion? I would like women out there, and this can apply to men too, also, Carol, these steps can be done by men as easily. My focus is to help women, but the process works beautifully for men, is that no matter how far down they've gone down the wrong road, no matter how far they are down a path and and they are not thinking that there's a way out. There is. All they have to do is turn around. Beautiful. You're, ne- the first you're just never that you're just there's all you just turn around. Just start you just have to start turn around and start taking steps the other way. Mm-hmm. Turn around and have faith. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been very inspirational. And I so appreciate your investments in the progression of humanity. Take care. Have a good day. You too, Carol. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, it is all about you being able to find your five steps. And these five steps definitely do capture a lot to offer. Faith, focus, A, Acceptance and attitude, I, identification and intention, T, thought, H, healing and helping, T, 
find your steps that are going to be able to guide you towards following your determination, your enthusiasm, your pain, your insight, your passions, your purpose, your meaningfulness to further yourself along the path that's going to make you tremendously successful as a modern woman and a woman that has so many responsibilities and so many talents and purposes in life. I'm glad you joined me to understand Mel Duane. Her name is M-A-L. That's why I want to keep saying it different ways. The French way would be Mal. And I can't wait to say that. It's Mal, M-A-L, and Duane, D-U-A-N-E. Thanks for listening. Check out Alpha Chick. I think you'll be very gratified and glad that you did as you walk through her pain and through her triumph as well. You will.